0: Hello, and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast, brought to you in partnership with Boris FX and our sponsor, Jump Desktop. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a working film and TV editor. For the last eight years, I've done more than 380 interviews with the world's best editors. I've been using Boris FX products for more than 20 years, and I'm proud to partner with them to bring you some great filmmaking content. Today, we're speaking with Chris Tellefson, ACE, about his Ace Eddie nominated editing of The Menu. Chris has been a guest on Art of the Cut several times before for The Many Saints of Newark, A Soprano* Story, also for A Quiet Place and Assassin's Creed. He also worked on Joy, which was a previous Art of the Cut interview. Chris was nominated for two Ace Eddies in 2000 for Analyze This and Man on the Moon. He was nominated for an Ace Eddie and an Oscar for Moneyball, another Ace Eddie nomination for Joy, and won an HPA award for A Quiet Place. In addition, he cut True Story, A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, Capote, and The Village, among others. Before I hop into our discussion with Chris, a brief thank you to our sponsors. Jump Desktop is a high-performance and secure app that lets you virtually connect to your editing bay as if you were physically there. Keep all your assets in one place and connect to your powerful editing bays from anywhere. Jump Desktop's high-performance remote desktop protocol lets you edit from any low-powered laptop. With end-to-end encryption, native support for macOS and Windows, and multi-monitor support, you can be productive from anywhere. Jump Desktop also has collaborative screen sharing for collaboration with your team. See what thousands of editors have been using to get their work done from around the world. Visit jumpdesktop.com cut to begin your free, no limits, 14-day trial today. And to our partner, Boris FX. I've been using Boris FX and Sapphire for more than 20 years, so they're not just a sponsor to me. I feel like they've been a partner in my cutting room for decades, helping me to deliver on the creative vision of my clients, directors, and producers. For all of us, our work is about bringing a creative idea to the screen and for me, Boris FX is one of the important tools that I use to do that. To see how they can help you on your latest project, head on over to borisfx.com and check out the Boris FX Suite, which includes Sapphire, Continuum, Mocha Pro, Silhouette, and Optics, all in a low-cost monthly or annual subscription. If you want to read this interview with great visual support, you can go to borisfx.com AOTC. That site also has other great filmmaking content, so keep that bookmarked. And now, Chris Tellefson, ACE, on his Ace Eddie-nominated editing of The Menu. So Chris, the opening scene, and the opening shot in the opening scene in particular, has gone a little bit viral. Um, Your star in the opening scene is Anya Taylor-Joy, and the movie fades up on an extreme close-up shot of her smoking a cigarette, only it's not her. It's actually a stock footage shot of a woman smoking a cigarette. So what was the value of that opening shot, and what was the discussion between you and the director to use that to start the film?
1: The opening of the movie was was always a challenge. There were a lot of setup scenes. There were like... Three that we dropped. Like on the boat, Lillian told the entire history of Chef Sloic and how his rise is full. Then she, she, he disappeared and then she kind of like rediscovered him and that then Hawthorne happened, this, this the restaurant that they're at then. So and it was just too much. It was just too much. And there was also another another scene with Elsa introducing the, the like there was a there was a miniature of the entire island, and she they, everyone walked like standing around, and she was talking about this evening of surprises, and it was just too leading, yeah. you know. And we needed to get through these things, but uh, but one thing was actually an Adam McCain note was he, he said, you know, we should really like we end with fire, we should start with fire. Mm-hmm. Do we have a close-up of her you know, lighting up? And we didn't have a close-up for her lighting up. And Anya's a very busy girl. She was in Australia shooting. <laughs> so that wasn't necessarily going to happen. So we dug very hard and found a stock shot that just was very, very tight and very simple. And it did the trick. I
0: love it. So that was the point was more, not that you needed the shot.
1: It was parenthetical.
0: It was bookend. I love yes. it. Great. So we talked a little about the structure. It's very interesting that those scenes were dropped. I don't know because I didn't get to see it, but it sounds to me like the scenes that you dropped were a little too on the nose, a little too, like you said, a little too leading.
1: It was too much explanation that wasn't needed. I mean, the, the thing that's so great about Rafe is he's he reads so clearly and he's so... Him, you don't need all that setup. And also just, it's more interesting for him to be more mysterious. Yeah and you get all
0: that stuff later in the film
1: it all kind of comes through and it didn't there wasn't any like threads within that that became problematic later like oh god then this, this is not gonna land no that did not It worked still like when she talks about the taco that put him on the map that was a whole thing explained in the on the boat it, didn't need it. you just got the sense that she was like trying to like just own it you know and that and that worked
0: yeah so, just before we started recording, we got to meet your lovely assistant editor.
1: That's Jordan, Jordan Farewell. My first assistant is David Rogau, and my two wonderful second assistants are Courtney Marquardt and Jordan Farewell. I have a great crew. I adore them.
0: I'm sure. Tell me about the importance of being organized as an editor, and I'm sure they help you. Well, you must do some organization they, they do it all.
1: They do it all. They do it all. I depend on my crew that from day one, that from the first day of shooting that I'm getting those scene bins ASAP, as soon as humanly possible, because I like to I like to do kind of a knee jerk cut kind of things as shootings happening. So if there's anything to flag up or any problems, it's helpful.
0: What are some of the things you ask them to do to be organized so that you feel like you are organized?
1: At this point, they just get it. You know, it's like uh, there's it's just done. You know, well, certain things like like uh, something like like what I'm on right now, like on Nia, there's tons and tons of archival stuff. And and that's, that's something that, you know, I will say like, oh, you know, this is getting confusing. You have to maybe separate some of these things out. And there's there's a lot of categories and it gets messy.
0: Yeah. I talk to people about the fact that organization is editing. I start the editorial process by organizing things and knowing where they are and seeing where they are and thinking that would help me understand it better if that was over here or separated.
1: Yes, and I certainly, certainly am understanding of that, especially with documentary, because you're trying to you know, combine so many separate elements, whereas with a encrypted feature, it's very different.
0: It's been a while since I've seen the film, maybe a month. Were there some intercut storylines or intercut timelines in the film? I feel like Anya went away and she was with the chef and then other people were someplace else. Can you talk about intercutting?
1: The structure of the movie is the courses, and the courses are very, very specific. There's there's a lot of work and change that happened within, and also certain challenges were like when the women are left to eat together and when the men are away, that was a real challenge of getting the right rhythm and the right balance between the two. Each course was shot very, very specifically. Mark wanted it in an Altman-esque style to every single table, and per, an actor was mic'd for every shot. So there's, there's everything going on, the massive amount of improvisation that just really, like a lot of gold, a lot of beautiful stuff, but can't use everything. Like the first cut was like two hours, 40 minutes, let's say, with like a large amount of the improvisation, just to to feel it, to feel how it was. And and some of it's just brilliant, but the whole aspect of this is finding the emphasis and finding the balance between all of these characters. And there's an obvious hierarchy, too. I mean, there's like like the main of the diners is, of course, Margot and Tyler, and then everyone else has their place within it and swirl around. So it's like getting that kind of, proper balance and amount of fun, mining the humor, mining the tension, mining the control of the chef. But, you know, like you, you would ask about going to the diners while well, during his speech. I mean, he's like a cult leader. He's like this mesmerizing presence. And they're there for a very specific experience and they're just open and ready in the beginning. And then it all devolves.
0: Got it. You mentioned Altman-esque filming and i had the opportunity once to actually interview altman a really fascinating guy what do you feel you mean by altmanesque
1: every character is is mic'd and is like just in their their kind of world in the same time and then it's a matter of of emphasis of where you're going to be but but there's still that constant presence you know it's not like one thing at a time it's many things going on but you have to find that especially through mixing where the levels are and what you're going to catch and what you're going to sort of like just let fly to the side and be kind of a, a an aside which many things turned that way and then then where to hit those emphasis hmm. emphasize
0: <laughs> I, emphasis. Have no, I have i <laughs> have no idea how to plural, <laughs> pluralize emphasis uh emphasy. I, don't know. I would also <laughs> think it's you know with the ad-libbing, it's the tonality is really important. You don't want it to go full oh, on Will Ferrell comedy.
1: Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, there were a lot of very wry and very fun things. It's, one thing that was really fun was John Leguizamo and Amy. They lapsed into Spanish when they were kind of like and stuff, and that was just really great. And you just got the tone of their their exchange, and it, it didn't get in the way of others. There's there's all these levels of that. And then the the dead quiet of the elder couple who were like just icy and aloof and inert, yeah, inert, <laughs> and inert. And <laughs> <laughs>
0: you mentioned when the men go off and the women are separated, and how that intercutting was different. You know how you needed to massage that. Can you talk about uh, that? Because I'm sure it wasn't the same as the script.
1: No. Yes and no. There was more of the women. There was a the whole thing where they got bread. It was kind of fun, but it just it sort of didn't work quite well enough. And then it was like we we just wanted to make it sort of the, the high points of it play, and it, it was getting too dispersed. And we were able to like like sharpen it with the cuts the men trying to escape, and then the height the comedy of uh, of Paul hiding in the in the hen house and being surprised with the hensard egg, and within this more so this, balance, especially since, you know, we're in these like enclosed environments and then we open up, but we come back and forth is just this like balance and emphasis.
0: We're in the middle of talking about the women and the men separated. And then I can't remember who was in the hen house, but that um... was
1: Paul Lillian's editor from the magazine, from the food magazine. He was the sycophantic editor who yes to her death, you know, no matter what, you know, if he had a, a thought, she'd change it. You'd immediately go to her. Yeah, it was he's great. Paul Adelson is really a wonderful actor. And played that role beautifully.
0: I love that. That brings up an interesting idea, right? You know these characters and the way they're supposed to be portrayed, and how that then makes you edit them. Oh, sure. In comparison sure, to somebody sure, else, sure,
1: sure. They have their very specific rhythm of speech and their interchange is different than the others too and their little glances at one another and they're they're like kind of little like eye raises and stuff there's there was just tons of of fun stuff to play with
0: yeah i would also think that even the conversations kind of the dialogue led you in the way they had to be edited but i would also think oh i I need some lightness here this would be great to go to john linguisamo no
1: sure there were a lot of situations where you could um, Play lines over other things to just like like to like, like drinking her the thing over um over that the uh the wine was that it was despair. The fellow um I've got I can't remember his name who played the sommelier was just great.
0: Oh yeah, every description of the wine was better than the previous. Yeah, uh, a, a bit <laughs> of
1: barnyard funk. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that like, a fine that that height of fine dining is so ripe for a. For satire now you know and it, it's, it really reaches people people are getting it so like i'm really enjoying it
0: any of the sommelier, st- sommelier stuff that was improvised or was that that was
1: very scripted the the descriptions were extremely scripted. <laughs> but then he would do little things here and there and, and his emphasis and his uh his manner was always perfect
0: can you remember any specific notes that you got on this film, and then how you dealt with them, what your attitude is about notes?
1: Well, interestingly, the really strong thing about this film was I feel like everyone was very much on the same page of what the tone of it was. In the process of editing, it was just to constantly mine that tone and play those those very fine lines and find a way to bring it to its fullest strength. So notes were very much within the thing of, oh, this isn't landing as, as hard as it should. Should we be emphasizing this more than that? And how do we how do we get the mess to really play? And it was like a constant, like a working of all those parts to get them all to like work together and play and rise and fall and come to the proper end. As far as scenes that were omitted, of course, there was the whole explanation of his history which was on the boat which lillian said it was a whole more introduction of the before getting into the restaurant and elsa bringing them around the table with a huge replica of the island and the restaurant and what you're you're going to be experiencing this like heightened amazing experience then this whole thing of like walking through the gardens and talking about the um farm to table aspects of it which we kind of consolidated into the, the area where they just see the guy fishing for scallops. There were a lot of things that were seeded and we didn't need to seed that many things, like the whole thing of Lillian having rediscovered him, rediscovering him. Also, it was set up that John Leguizamo had a peanut allergy and that one of the tech bros had a gluten allergy and she like kind of like dismisses these things. And also that it's a reference to Lillian having given a bad review to a restaurant that closed that was that she just reversed her being unkind or something of of that nature later on we cut there was a torture scene of Lillian being waterboarded with the broken emulsion and John Leguizamo being force-fed a very fancy peanut dessert and like his face is blowing up and it's very extreme. It was just too much, and I edited that a billion times and worked it into like like parallel with the fight in the kitchen and all these other things. But it never, never hundred percent landed. It was just too much, and it also took away from the heightened absurdity of the of the high angle of them becoming the dessert, the s'mores. So beyond that, as far as things that were like reworked and taken away, when Margot goes to the secret room. The way it originally worked in the script was she never actually, you never saw her see the picture of him with the burger. You just saw her with the back of the um, frame and her like kind of a light bulb moment kind of thing. There was a coda at the end of the following day, burnt out restaurant, a crew wrapping up body bags, and then a zoom into the silver door. Silver door blows up and it moves in and it reveals the photograph of him as a young man flipping a burger the whole thing of having to connect the dots at the end took away from the strength of her controlling him and the whole light bulb business with the burger it was just it was stronger having her have known that and she did such a marvelous job of like turning the tables and like manipulating him in very much like especially with the clap and everybody responding in the whole tension of that and then She basically works him into a a frenzy of an obsession of like making this perfect burger, which if you look at it very carefully, when he puts the bun on top of it and presses it slightly down, it rises slightly as if it's breathing. It's it's really quite special. (laughs) And there's all these restaurants making the the menu burger. (laughs) I'll
0: I'll have to make one myself. Um, you just follow the movie, cring-
1: It shows you exactly
0: how yeah. to the, well, the the right cheese and everything.
1: Right, <laughs> it doesn't crack. Uh, it doesn't split. Yeah, American cheese doesn't split. One other thing that that was taken away for a very specific reason. It worked on paper, but did not work on the screen. Is after she calls the coast guard, she finds the radio, calls the coast guard in the secret room. She walks back into the main room. You know the the replicated kitchen in Chef's Cottage. She sits down like this, and then you hear Chef's voice on a loudspeaker. And they have this kind of cat and mouse talk back and forth. And what it did was it made you just sit there saying, wait a minute, she just came out of that room? She was, like, saying that, and he's in a loudspeaker here. He knows that she did this. It just didn't play. It was much better to just, like, have her just come back with the barrel, which was filled with God knows what, that was going to, like, blow the place up. <laughs>
0: You mentioned trying to get the scene with John Leguizamo eating the peanut allergy dessert to work. And you said you tried to intercut it. And yeah, it's, know, maybe it's because I've worked with so much less quality material than you have. But I find that a lot of times if I need to make a scene work, that's not working, I'll intercut it.
1: Oh like, yeah, sure that'll, sure. that'll save me. Or, or, you know, it's, it, the paralleling isn't important. and. Standard use. It, it was just totally just didn't, didn't fit. It didn't fit. It took it, it took it too far afield. It was like, it was enough to have him interrogated for, you know, being in a bad movie that that pissed off chef, and that, you know, that she didn't have financial aid and went to Brown and she was dying for that, which is like, an, it's pretty hysterical. Like
0: Chris, I want to talk about the value of reaction shots. There's a great scene to see this. So Let's watch this clip from when Chef welcomes everyone to his restaurant, Hawthorne.
2: Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Hawthorne. I am Julian Slowick, and tonight it'll be our pleasure to feed you. The curtain rises. Over the next few hours, you will ingest fat, salt, sugar, protein, bacteria, Fungi, various plants and animals, and at times, entire ecosystems. But I have to beg of you one thing, it's just one. Do not eat. Is this your... Taste. Savor, relish. Consider every morsel that you place inside your mouth. Be mindful do not eat. Our menu is too precious for that. And look around you. Here we are, on this island. Accept. Accept all of it. And forgive. And on that note, food.
0: So let's describe the editing of that scene and the reaction shots. In the show description, there are links to these clips if you want to watch them. But if you hop on YouTube and just type the menu clips, they'll pop up. Chris,
1: well, first off, first off, of course, you want Margot to be startled, and that plays and that works. But then it's it's a matter of the kind of cult like aspect of how he has everything set up, and how it's like these people are coming, like paying twelve. 50, $1,250 to like experience this experience. It's a whole thing. And so they're they're hanging on his every word. And also then then the whole fanboy sycophant aspect of Tyler. You want to make sure that he's like really absorbing this. The, you know, John Leguizamo asks, like, is, is it real? Like, like when he says, Don't eat. And they're they're very specific. The reactions are to just emphasize all of the very very specific things that he's saying like like look around you feel breathe and don't don't eat but like like savor it's all very um very mesmerizing and then when he talks about we are not important we'll pass on but all of the environment around us the earth will stay and will complete you know this it's kind of like a a guided meditation in a way. And they're just like absorbing it and feeling it. And then oh, Tyler is in tears and she's in shock that he's in tears. So it's like, it's, it's a build. You know, I tried to build it to its best effect.
0: love it. When you're trying to mine the performances for a scene like that, how do you watch dailies? I've talked to a lot of people about how they watch daily. Some people watch them backwards. Some people watch them in
1: order. I watch them as they come in. I try to replicate the experience of film when I used to sit in a theater and usually with the director and the crew and watch each and every shot and think about it, absorb it make notes on, especially you know, like the specifics of performance, things that pop, things that come forward, that that are memorable. And that's the way I watch dailies. And it's a quote-unquote daily thing. And then I'll, I'll go back, but I'm building the cut as I go along the first cut. And it's almost always obviously very out of sequence so that each scene at first is a little bit too much of a beginning, middle, and end. Whereas when you start putting them together, they become more fluid.
0: I never experienced watching dailies in a screening room. I'm assuming you're saying that they were almost always, or whenever you watched them, they were shown in filmed order.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah like the end of the day. It would be the day before us dailies because of processing. And if you're on set, or let's say they're shooting the city and you're working there, you, you meet at the theater and you sit and watch it and sometimes there's things like on on the village there was a a mobile unit that was a screening room that was on the set
0: got it you were nominated for an oscar for moneyball and you've been nominated for ace eddie for the menu and you've got a bunch of other nominations when you are judging your peers for oscar or Ace consideration what are you thinking about
1: i'm thinking about how the film affects me I'm thinking about how what my experience of it was. If I'm really emotionally affected or really enjoy and really really respond to something, that's that's what it's about. Of course, you know, being an editor, I notice the editing, I notice that aspect of it, but that's not the driving force of what I think makes a great novel. Yeah. The, the, the quote unquote um presence of it. I think it's yeah. like in a in a way, it's sort of like the absence of its presence can be strength.
0: I completely understand that idea. I think the last time we talked about this, the last time we spoke, we talked about the fact that you were assistant editor on The Color of Money and had just transitioned to being an editor in the 1990s on Metropolitan. Can you talk about the difference between your time cutting on film and when you made the jump to digital?
1: Sure, sure. I cut my first, like, seven films on film, which was like Metropolitan, a film called Jumping the in Barcelona, a, 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 a film that was made in Estonia called Darkness in Tallinn, Blue in the Face, which was an uh, offshoot of the film Smoke. But I also did a pass on Smoke, but that was an, as an additional editor. Maisie Hoy was the main editor on that. And Kids, Kids was my last film cut. And then on Flirting Disaster, that was my first digital job. and I learned avid to do that. And it was very user-friendly. And I really enjoyed the fluidity of it, the nonlinear linear aspect is great. But but I love film and I if that's all there was, that's I'd still be doing it. And I was fast. I was fast and, and with that bleed in front of me. <laughs> and then actually directly after starting the disaster, I did the people versus Larry Flint with Neil Schwarman. And he had a very specific demand. He hadn't made a film in like seven years. And he said, I know it has to be digital, but I have to be able to have three camera links like to be able to like like a cam flatbed where you can have three heads for multiple camera setups. And so I had to do some research and the only thing that was like workable for that was something called heavy works, which was an offshoot of light works, which was like very it was a very cumbersome. It was it was user friendly, but it was cumbersome for assistants. It was like DOS based, and it was it was a nightmare for them, unfortunately. And the image wasn't as good as that, too.
0: On all those films that you cut on film, were you always on a flatbed, or were you? Mu- mu- I was a
1: flatbed. Flatbed, pretty much. I I, I used a movieola on the first cut of Jumping at the Bonnet, and that was for economic reasons. Yeah. I also used a. I used a. a a movie on a short that I did called Muddy Hands, which I did before
0: Metropolitan. Have you done any shorts recently? No. No. I was just, interesting. There, there are some editors who choose to dabble in shorts. You know, yeah, whether it's sure. fill in the time or meet a new director. Or... No.
1: No. No. It, it could be fun. Sure. I must overlap. You know, I, I get. I, I'm pretty busy.
0: Were there any things that you learned from working with Thelma Schoolmaker that you have carried on in your career?
1: The biggest takeaway from that experience was the experience of their process of being there from dailies to the end of the mix. That's... Being there throughout that scene, every single process going through, every single screening, every single like massive amount of changes, and then music, sound, et cetera, and then all the way to the very, very end, that's the takeaway that resonates, that you really get more than like, like uh, any kind of like, um, oh, you do this, or you do that, it's almost not that tight. She's very intuitive and she's really a very, very strong editor and reactive.
0: What about the, I call them soft skills. What about the political skills, the collaboration skills?
1: Only one time did I collaborate with a group of editors. It was very friendly and nice situation on joy, but it was a little strange. But um, everybody was lovely and we, we were very respectful and had a good time doing it. But it wasn't necessarily the best thing for the movie, per se. But as far as collaborating with directors, I, I work with a lot of different directors. And that I find that very stimulating. I like... Being in a new situation and like sort of like, well, what's this going to be, you know, kind of thing. And then discovering that and finding my way with that. And I, I'm, I'm pretty good with with uh, extreme personalities. actually <laughs> There's plenty of.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, not so much of getting used to a new director is certainly an interesting thing. But I was thinking of the politics of like when to go, oh, my gosh, this scene is a disaster. And when to go, maybe I shouldn't say that.
1: Oh well, you, there's there's always a fine line of, of figuring out when the right time to say certain things are. Sure, those are important life skills that go beyond the editor.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, one of the things I did not know about you was that you curate Martin Scorsese's film collection.
1: I I worked on his archive. That was like. In 1986, for about six months, because let's face it, with those kind of archival jobs, you could do them for the rest of your life. You know, and I had no intention of doing any such thing. <laughs> just wipe the dust off myself for 80 years. And also, to be honest with you, it was a great experience working with writing a Thelma. But they see you as one thing, and I I knew I had to move on quick. You know, I I just left to edit a short and that short built my career and helped me get metropolitan and so on and so on and so on but um the beauty of that was I had access to the collection I would take movies home every night you know it's like a like a library borrowing kind of thing and it was amazing and that was it was a big eye-opener for certain things like like all of the Powell Perisberger films like and at the time Dummel was married to Michael Powell, and Michael Powell was still alive, and he would come and visit. And we, we had interesting screenings and stuff. He was a lovely guy, but very, very charming, very interesting person. I, I had that exposure to films that I really love, which I, I have a thing as a result of what I was exposed to Therefore, Italian comedies of the 50s into the early 60s, early, early 60s. Like, a, I'll just rattle them off. Like, I love. Bellini's like uh, Talone, The White Cheek, Dino Risi's Il Sorpasso, Orlando Level's Mafioso, Divorce Italian style. These are and uh Marco is The Ape Woman. These are just amazing, the great films. And I felt I learned a lot from being exposed to these films, just about subtlety of humor and like character and eccentricity. It's it just like interesting. Interesting stuff, and and rhythm, and, and many things, and then the dynamics between characters and, and such. But also, I'm I'm just going to talk about because you would ask about like what you know has affected me in terms of work of the past and stuff. There's mm-hmm. the the work of Cecile de Couges, the French editor who did Breathlessly, Stones and My Night at Maud's, the the Eric Rohmer film, which actually that's a film that I found very affected me because it's extremely spare and reduced and very clear in its choice of where to go. And that definitely is something I felt I learned from. I like would really watch that and was like, this is doing the right thing. You're in the right place at the right time for the, the temperature and the the psychology and the humor and the, the pathos, everything's like in the right place. And that, I think, I think that kind of helped me with Metropolitan, which was a comedy of manners and also had a lot of a heart to it too. And I had finding those subtleties was helpful. I was very very um, influenced by the early British New Wave, Tony Richardson's films that were edited, many edited by um Anthony Gibbs, Loneliest, the Long Distance Runner. He also edited the John Lester film, The Knack and How to Get It, which is really great. I mean, I could go on and on and on about these things that that affect me. And one very, very clear thing, which is a film that affected the menu very much, is the Bunuel film, The Exterminating Angel, which was very much in the minds of the writers of Seth and Will when they wrote this. It was like a, a bed of this tone from that film, in that it was a film that was very important to Mark Mylod, the director, and a film that was very important to myself, and I saw it in 1975, well, back in the day when you went to revival houses to see movies, there were no VCRs, there was no, <laughs> there was nothing, you had to go to a movie theater to see films, and so I went to see a double feature of Viridiana and The Exterminating Angel, I went to see Viridiana, and The Exterminating Angel was like a life-changer. It was just this, like, really key, interesting thing. I mean, it's like it has one of the most interesting edits, like, in history. Are you aware of that? No, I not. don't. Nope. You must see it. But there's re- I, I'm, there is I'm a, a... I got the
0: Criterion a. Collection. I, I'm going to watch it today. There.
1: there is a repeated shot within it, like a completely repeated shot. And it is so interesting and it is so effective. And it's the kind of thing that I always think, oh, how can I... Can I ever do that? That's a really hard thing to do and make it work, you know, to really make it work. I wrote something. Maybe I should just read them. The thing about the exterminating angel is it's an enigmatic piece on class differences and privilege and the effect on the menu being the inertia of the privilege, believing that they are the above judgment and punishment, peeling away layers of rot. They're the most wealthy couple and their guests are arriving from the opera to their home for dinner, while the entire staff servants are leaving for clearly no explained reason, just that something feels wrong and it's intuitive. And one of those servile of, of the group of servants stays with them. Then the whole dinner party retreats to the parlor for coffee and music, there's a dance pianist that plays. And at the end of the evening, they inextricably cannot leave. No one says why. And they are self-trapped for months in this space. They can't leave it. They can't leave it. And the genius of this film on a level beyond sense is the metaphors are endless, like believing in a political system, no matter what, not questioning or challenging authority. And when you strip away privilege, everyone is vulnerable. It's endless what you can derive from it. And what I think is interesting about the film is it's it's spurning a lot of people's thoughts. And there's a lot of seeming seeming theories, some some kind of wacky, like that she was poisoned by the bird. I think it's a pretty rich film and I'm very proud of it.
0: So I want to touch base on this one idea that you just pointed out, which was you saw this film that was very affecting to you. Almost forty years ago, or more. Oh than yeah, 40.
1: and the interesting thing to reflect on: it was made in nineteen sixty-two, and I only saw it thirteen years later. Thirteen years ago, now is what, like two thousand eleven? You know?
0: <laughs> right, it's crazy.
1: The twenty-first century is just like just going like that.
0: When you heard, "Oh, I'm going to work on this film," by the way, the movie. Was well, is- when I
1: read it, I was like. I read read it, read into the lines, and I felt it. I felt it. And then one of my first conversations with Mark, we talked about it, about that relationship. And he also talked about how Seth and Will both, this was an inspiration for them as well.
0: Did you re-watch the film?
1: I I watch it maybe every two years. Wow. And and if it's ever on a big screen, I'm there. I saw it in London on a big screen, like about Hmm. nine years ago.
0: Okay. Final question for you, because I know you have to get to work today on your very interesting new project. Any great films that should be studied for editing? And because of Thelma, no Choosing Raging Bull. I think I
1: just mentioned about 20. Okay. 20. 20
0: is good enough.
1: The ones that I mentioned, I'd suggest everyone watch: Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, The Knack and How to Get It. Oh, Hard Day's Night.
0: <laughs> Hard Day's Night. All right. Um, yeah, you know,
1: and the Italian films that I mentioned. All Kubrick.
0: Chris, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to let you go. And, Thanks, uh, Steve. Great, it's always
1: a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Great chat. Bye. That's it for Out of the Cut this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you'd prefer to read this interview with visual support and clips and trailers, head on over to borisfx.com slash AOTC where there's a ton of great expert content for filmmakers of all types. Also check out my book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven curated look at the craft of editing. Thanks to Chris Tellefson, ACE. Thanks to Sam Rosenberg for editing today's podcast. And thanks to our partner, Boris FX, and to our sponsor, Jump Desktop. Be sure to check them out at borisfx.com and jumpdesktop.com cut. I'm Steve Hallfish. Thanks for listening. And please tell all the editors and filmmakers that you know that to get more great Art of the Cut interviews every week, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app.